What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 391. My name is Steve, one of the co-hosts of the show, and as always, I'm joined by... Ron. Kiri, 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 Kiri. Kiri, Kiri, Kiri. Oh, it's me, John. <clears throat> I was concerned with that. When somebody got into the Zoom that I didn't know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought maybe someone was kind of thing. I thought maybe someone was um, uh, shoving acupuncture needles uh, into your eye sockets. Oh yeah, yeah. You never so, know. Saying Kiri, some, Kiri, some Kiri. nights just get weird, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good to see you guys again. After a little delay, we're back at it, and uh, yeah, I mean that's kind of a little bit of a tease. We're going to get back to Ronald's pick from last episode for required viewing this week, which is audition. From, uh, was it 99? 1999? Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and once we get past that, we're going to get into this conversation that we teased a little bit um, over the last episode. Just basically, we've been talking a lot about whether it's Marvel or DC or some other franchises, you know, Star Wars, bigger IP, Star Wars. That's a great example. Um, kind of. Thank you. You're welcome, John. Good job. Um, where they're all at. And like we had this conversation talking about all this information coming out about. Marvel's pivots with some of their shows, some of their movies, what's DC doing, whatever. And I had said to you guys at one point, I just feel like everything is broken. So yes. we wanted to have a conversation about that on the podcast. So that'll be the, the main topic for this episode. Um, so we'll get to that in just a moment. And at the very end of the podcast, we'll kind of go through a couple other things that we've seen, some recommendations, um, some, uh, you know, wait for it and maybe some hold ups. I don't know. I'm not sure what you guys have watched, but I might have a couple. But um Ooh. Nice tease. But yeah, Ronald, take us in back or take us back rather to uh, your pick uh, and yeah. tell us why and, and you know where we're at with it. Uh, Takashi Mike or Mike Takashi, if you uh, want to do it the Japanese way, uh, 1999's Audition, which is a horror thriller um, that it basically is about uh, a man that lost his wife fairly recently. And um, he's looking for a partner because his son told him so. And then, <laughs> and so <laughs> he then decides. That always goes well. Yeah, he can't go wrong if your kid has an idea. And then his <laughs> very good friend decides to do a, he's a producer. Uh, there's a TV show audition that he wants him to use to date women. Right? Well, it's like it's like an it's an actress. It's they're pretending to audition actresses, sort of, but yeah. it's sort of like be tomorrow's next star is sort yes, of or whatever. Sure. So it's very vague, but it's almost like they're they're recommending. It's almost like it's they're applying for some kind of studio contract yeah. where they'll just be used yeah. in projects. And it's like it's semi legitimate, and that maybe they will hire someone for projects based on this. But uh, you called him a very good friend. I would say he's also a very creepy friend. The friend who suggests that the best he way is. for you to find a, a date is. Is to like bring women in under false pretenses and find yes. out all this personal information from them. <laughs> um, but no, it is an interesting thing, Ronald. Don't you think it also is like a satire of like a certain kind of romantic comedy where like it is. it's supposed yeah. to be cute that the guy's doing these kind of semi stalkery things? Of course, and, yeah. And in most romantic comedies, it's like that goes in the cute direction. But yeah. in this movie, it's like it veers hard in a completely maybe not a different direction, but maybe a, a more a more realistic. Yeah, <laughs> direction. at the end of the <laughs> second act, that's typically where. Said creep 
tells the woman, oh man, we we made a bet. This was this is if yeah. I could get you or not. And she's like, oh damn it, I'm never talking to you again. This right. woman's like, oh damn it, I'm gonna put needles in your fucking eye. <laughs> so Kiri, 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 Kiri. I, this is a very graphic vengeance sort of film that also has like a it's weird because it does a really good job of giving you some really good backstory on who this woman is and the abuse that she's endured and right. but I feel like it's not apples to apples when it comes to like abuse to the doling out what she did. I mean the bad I mean, scene I mean, I, I mean I've seen I've seen debate Ronald about whether this movie is a feminist movie or not you know like whether right, it's right. like about because it does totally skewer that sort of um male gaze uh that yeah, kind of uh whatever sure. we want to call that kind of proprietary feeling like don't objectify women is like a possible lesson you could take from yeah, this movie sure. but there's also that other side lesson of like oh don't fall in love with a serial killer you know what i mean it's like 100%. it's like so it's like that one of those is a lesson you can learn the other is not really a lesson you can learn and i think that's the interesting thing i guess that makes it a thriller more so than like a message movie yeah, is that sure. it's not just about oh this woman who's being exploited realizes what's happening and kind of turns the tables it's like it's a sort of you fucked with the wrong person kind of thing. Yeah, um, you're in the wrong orbit. Like yeah. it's, it's 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 you're right. It's not just like that. It's like you're in the wrong orbit of this person. You've run into a person who will ruin you right. and several people around you if <laughs> if you've wronged her. So it's. I mean, it is a. She lesson. will poison your little dog or strangle it or something. But what a, what yeah, a sad. Yeah, yeah. Poor gang. I had just written down that gang, the beagle, was like the secret hero of this movie, and then the next time we see him, whew, dang, dang, gang, dang, poor lives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God dang. But no, a bleak, a bleak sort of movie in a lot of ways, but also a movie that kind of goes for a certain kind of thrill ride aesthetic of like, it's yeah. going to sort of, it's got extremes that it goes to that are that are pretty wild. Um, yeah. But I think people might have this reputation of this as like torture porn. And I, I actually wrote it down, like when he actually passes out, the kind of final time that he kind of passes out and before things, let's say, don't go his way. Um, uh it's like that's an hour and a half into the movie. I think it's yeah. one hour thirty three minutes into the movie yeah. before it gets to that part, and then there's only like maybe fifteen minutes left of movie. Uh, you know, so ten minutes of this movie are really focused on that awful stuff yeah, with like sure. the sound effects and yeah. like the 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 you know the crazy the kiri 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 and the you know all that stuff. All that stuff kind of happens in in a ten minute window in the movie. So it's not like I mean I don't I think therefore you can't really call it torture porn in that no, sense. I don't think um, so. But it does I think set the tone for a lot of extreme movies of that time that were yeah. going for this kind of shock. You mentioned the bag. We should talk about the bag. The bag is kind of where things turn. How did you feel when you when you first saw the bag? When we when you picked this movie, Ronald. And I said something to you like, "There's a couple moments in that that you'll never forget." Uh, yeah. The bag was one of the chief moments that that I was thinking of. Yeah, because it's not just that th there's a person in this bag; it's that the person's in this bag with missing body parts. So it's like it's really hard to process because you see the bag kind of moving from the body. I'm talking about that first moment where the bag goes from a stationary bag. <laughs> To right, a bag right, that right. clearly that clearly has a person inside it. That's the Terrifying. moment that I remember being like, "Oh my god!" But then, yes, Spain, you're right. What emerges yeah. from the bag is completely horrific. The best part too. of that scene, though, is that the one that John's talked that first one. It's just the fact that she's been waiting by that phone for that call. Yeah, and like that that look on her face just slightly changes when the phone yeah. rings. 
that's what makes that scene for me. That's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. that's and the scene for me, that one. And then the bag moves. And then she says, oh, I've been waiting for your call. Yeah. And, it, and, to, and to him, it sounds like kind of dreamy, whatever. And then she yeah. actually repeats that stuff to him at the very end. I don't know if you noticed it was the yeah. same dialogue um, that she repeats when she's, I guess, kind of dying. I mean, I guess, you know, we're sort of spoiling, but not really. We're not going plot, by, plot point by plot point. But the end of the movie is... It's a it's a crazy turnaround. What happens in the last like two minutes of the movie? Um, and did you guys catch what a crazy uh, like needle drop that is? The song that it's in the end credits is like a, a, almost like a complete mood breaker. Um, I'll 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 drop it in right here in the episode, and I'll send you the audio, Ronald. But it's a song. It's like a pop song. Oh right, right. by Ely Park or Ellie Park. It's called a Pelicula. And I don't know if that translates into something to do with the movie, but it's Pelicula and then in quotes, audition. So I think it was written or recorded to be like the closing theme of the movie. But it's like a, an energetic pop song that starts right after that incredibly grim uh, ending. Um, and I looked into what Kiri 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 means. Did you, what did your closed captioning say when she was saying that? When she was going, Kiri 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 Kiri. What did, what did it say on your screen? Do you, did you notice? I didn't have it on. Uh, I, I don't know if I remember. Well, I don't I think I saw it, yeah. It says deeper, deeper is what oh. it says. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. But I looked and it's actually, it, uh, the translation would more accurately be cut, cut. Um, oh. It's actually the it's like a Japanese onomatopoeia for describing sharp pain. You know, an onomatopoeia oh, right, is where right, the right, word yeah. sort of imitates the sound of what the thing is. Yeah. It's a like, kitty, kitty, kitty. It's so supposed to, I guess, almost mean like the sound of your skin being scratched or cut. Um, but anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting because I was like, oh, it's interesting that that means deeper, deeper, but not really. Like that's almost just like an interpretation mm. that that sort of let you know how she was using it. That she was saying something that had a meaning to it. It wasn't just a sound. Um, but, uh, no, I find it to be a very unsettling movie with movies like this. I wonder how much I like them. Um, but I do think they're well done and kind of nightmarish and I got to give it credit. I've seen this movie maybe twice before and this time through, there were still moments I had sort of forgotten or moments that had a new context to me. Like I had sort of forgotten that it starts with a flashback or a, it starts and then there's a time jump to yeah. like, but I'd forgotten the whole opening scene with the wife dying and the son being really young. I had just sort of remembered the, oh, he's a widower who who his son is is egging him on to date. But so much of that would be in a cute romantic comedy, right down to his relationship with his son. Yeah. Like giving him the okay sign when he meets the new girlfriend and all that stuff. That was like dorky dad stuff that felt like they really are setting you up for, oh, wait, this guy's kind of pathetic in a, in a creepy way. And then... Um, I don't know, just what, what, what he allows to happen to him is, is totally because of his, like, sort of he's having the wrong kind of vulnerability. Like, you see other women in, in his life that he should be more, he should be pursuing people more like that, you know, and then this, this, yeah. he goes after this woman in this totally crazy way. So he does deserve some kind of comeuppance. Um, so yeah. what do you think is the most disgusting thing that happens in this movie? I have one moment that I think is, is maybe the most disgusting moment. What do you think? Uh, what do you think? Maybe the deeper, deeper, deeper. I mean, like that to me. I, I, yeah, that's that, that's pretty unsettling. Honestly, the vomit thing really gets me. <laughs> ding, 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 that, ding, That's ding. the one for me that I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? When she vomits into a bowl she and puts it down he, in front of the guy, and he and just, he just fucking laps it up. Yeah, 
Now that part was like in a weird dream sequence because he was in that place, but it didn't seem like he was really there. Like I didn't know what we were supposed to think. If it looked like almost like a flashback that was being related to him in a oh. dream, yeah, but it didn't yeah. seem like he was really there. But it did seem like maybe he was seeing what was happening in her apartment when he wasn't there point, yeah. or something. I don't know. But but I believe that's what we really were meant to take is that that's what was in the bag. And the other thing is there's the question of who's in the bag. Is it the guy who worked for the music company that disappeared like 18 months ago that his friend told him about? Is it right. like, was he the boyfriend of the woman who ran the club who disappeared and they they found one too many like fingers and tongue and all the stuff that's missing from the guy in the bag? We know that it was left at the bar. You know, there was all these little clues, but I don't know that we know for sure like what the story was there. Was she having yeah. an affair with the woman or the man? It's not really clear. And then the guy at the dance studio um, that clearly is a guy who at least physically abused her, if not something yeah. worse. Oh my God. Um, and she talks about her hips being damaged. It's like, well, that could be all due to being a young dancer and being worked too hard, or it could mean something, imply something much more nefarious, you know, cause she yeah. said her hips were damaged. So, um, but yeah, the vomit, the bowl of vomit that, and the sounds of the guy going for it. Yeah. That is. Uh, so... Oh man, I forgot Brutal. all about I that. Think... My, like I think you hit it for me, John. Like it was like I don't know if I like this movie. Like and this is like another one of those put it in the bucket of like these things. And I, I hadn't seen it. You know, I'd always heard about it, mm. and it was like always one of those like you know these Paramount horror titles that like everybody talks about. Like Ronald had said last week, um, and I had just never like fallen on my radar for no real reason. But like mm -hmm. I think watching it though, you know, I, I can acknowledge that there's a lot of unsettling scenes and like some sequences that I really thought were great. But I feel like the two comments you made was like, I don't know if I like the movie, you know, I can appreciate it. Mm -hmm. But also like, I think the, the biggest con for me was like, it's that's, well, I guess now, you know, this like elevated horror, slow burn, you know, they talk yeah. about it. And the fact that you're saying, you know, an hour and 30 minutes into the movie, 35 minutes in, is really to the point where you see like what people, most people talk about from this movie. And it's the last 10, 15 minutes of the movie or whatever it ends up being. Right. Um, so, you know, and a lot of that stuff works, though, getting to that point for me. But it's just kind of it's building up some of this story, some of this backstory. But I think it's just like there was something lacking in some of that run, especially in the middle of the movie, like that second act where I thought more was going to take place. So, I mean, that'd probably be my biggest, I guess, criticism, I guess. Um, you know, I, I don't know really where this falls for me. Um, again, I feel like I put it in that bucket of like these legacy movies that have like amazing reputations that I end up seeing. And I'm just like, kind of like, it's, it's okay. I mean, for me, it was okay. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't rank it so so highly on any list that, that I was making. I don't know that I'd ever watch it again, but um, definitely can appreciate like, for again, perspective of, you know, the time when it came out you know, it was a pretty impactful film. And, you know, that's why, you know, people that experienced it then or in the wake of that era, like, you know, really probably talk about it so highly. But for me here, 24 years later, you know, getting to this movie, just like I kind of came to some of the, you know, beloved 70s horror, you know, when I was in high school or college, yeah. like it just didn't hit the same for me. And and that's kind of, that was the, like, the link I felt walking away from watching this was like, I don't, I don't know that I liked it that much, but like, it's got some cool stuff in it, but it just, I think I missed it. You know, I missed the, the excitement around it or like, you know, the impact that it had when you, if you could have watched it when it came out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It definitely left a little bit of a mark though, in the sense of 
this was a kind of movie that people tried to do for a while. Oh, for where sure. At least building up to a crucial moment, but going for it with this these crazy like, oh, wow, we're really just looking at Like, it doesn't show you as much as you might think, but the way it manages to work those scenes it's like that kind of you know that that stuff is very effective um and i think i mean i I actually i sort of appreciate the kind of slow burn and i actually do kind of like the sort of sleuthing that the guy does but i do think that there's something uh sort of tonally or mood wise uh, flat about it like once it gets into its concept and it establishes that there's something kind of strange going on it is a little flat for like 45 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Like, I'm interested in what's happening, but it is, it's like if you were going to, if you were going to make the, the, it's weird that there hasn't been a crappy American remake of this, honestly. Where's the one starring Joel Kinnaman that we should have gotten in like 2010 or something <laughs> like that. Um, but um, I feel like if you were going to do that version, you know, you would get to the, the final act, you would get to that faster and it would be longer. You know what I mean? There would be more, complication involved in that um i think that's what you would do if you were trying to make this like overcome that sort of is it too much of a slow burn feeling steve is like get to that at an hour in rather than an hour and a half in or something like that you know that 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 would be the way to kind of take away that feeling but i was sort of impressed by it when i saw it of like oh yeah it's not torture porn you know by definition it's only 10 minutes of the movie that you could call that and the rest of it is much more of a psychological you know watch who you hook up with <laughs> kind of <Yeah>. story <laughs> a little bit like fatal attraction or something taken to the to the nth degree i don't know yeah. i enjoyed watching it but yeah i i I'm, this might be the last time i i yeah I don't, from beginning to end i don't know if i ever watch this movie again <laughs> well thank you for choosing it though it's it was, yeah. i thought it was a good topic i'm, I'm glad i'm glad I, I can knock it off my list i can say that i saw it it's crazy because I saw the Ichi the Killer, the, the the one that he released two years later. I did not realize it was the same director at the time because those were the two movies that we were like, you have to see Audition. You have to see Ichi the Killer. See these two movies. Ichi's more of my speed. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, I'm glad, we, I'm glad we watched it. So it's, uh, it's Steve's pick, right? Yeah, Steve's yeah. pick, yeah. And uh, kind of sticking with the, the the spooky horror, scary terror theme of some of our recent picks. Uh, I don't know if you you may have seen this recently, John. I can't remember if you said you saw this because this is a movie that had a theatrical run recently, but it's coming to video on demand digitally uh, the day this episode comes out, the twenty seventh. So um, I didn't get to see it in theaters, but I plan to watch it this weekend so we can talk about it next week as my required viewing pick. And it's an Argentinian film called When Evil Lurks. Hmm. Um, so I can tell that you haven't seen it. No, I have um, not seen it. Great. I have not seen it, but I do know. Um, I, I'm, never yeah. seen it either. Yeah. So I, I've seen a lot of people talking about it recently. Um, just, you know, again, staying in this lane, like pretty bleak, pretty brutal, uh, pretty dark. Um, basically, this this story about these guys who find this, uh, what does it say? A demon infected man about to give birth to evil. They decide to get rid of the oh. man, but merely succeed in spreading the chaos. So you got to be careful I, I, about I, that one. You got to be careful. Anytime, <laughs> guys, Ronald, I want you to listen up. Anytime you're going to get rid of a man, you got to be worried about that chaos. You might be you got to do it. There could be like, for, like you might be like, okay, there's less man around here, but is there more chaos? And you got to think that hell? through. Because once you, you do it, one left the other. Once you do it. It's okay. chaos, right? I mean, you know, when you're in the middle of chaos, it's really hard to form a new plan. And you can't bring back a man that you've gotten rid of. 
I'm this, sure we'll see that. Yeah, that, yeah. I'm this, sure that's probably the whole point of this film. Holster looks nuts. It looks I can like relate. I can movie. relate already. Yeah, the trailer is really great, and um, I've I just yeah I've heard nothing but great things about it, and it's kind of been um, like it's a critical darling. Like people love this. Critics love this film. It's got a great score on Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb. Like, it, you know, for an audience that's seeking out a movie like this, that you know is it, if you like the trailer, I mean, apparently it, it's got the goods. Um, but but again, everything basically does say that it's pretty dark and bleak and pretty brutal. So um, and yeah, pretty mean. I think is what a lot of the, which yeah, it's perfect pick for Halloween week. Right, uh, come out just after Halloween. So yeah, so it's when evil lurks is my pick. Just came out this uh, basically. I think it, I think it came out theatrically maybe the beginning of September, first week of September. Um, and yeah, yeah, people should look. It's been getting great reviews. I mean, like it's one of those that's yeah. like got it's like like, top of the list for like horror of this year. Yeah. I think one of the highest rated horror movies um, this year. So yeah, it'll be digitally available this weekend. Uh, your, your standard spots: Voodoo, Apple, Amazon. You can check it out, rent it, cool. and uh, we'll talk about it uh, next week. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Victor. You're welcome, Ronald. Very much. Um, so yeah, let's go to the larger conversation. Um, again, guys, everything is broken. Everything is broken. Um, nobody knows yeah. what they're doing anymore. Like no, nobody knows how to capitalize on on uh, on like the properties that they were before, or at least right. what were, were what were seen as like evergreen properties and IP. They're they're fumbling like between Marvel and Star Wars, as we mentioned, all the DC stuff that we've witnessed. There are other franchises as well, other studios even, not just franchises, that have had a hard time figuring out like what people what people want. And you know, I think that we focused the the, the conversation as we often have on some of these bigger franchises because those are the ones that when we like something and it doesn't connect and doesn't make the money we always kind of comment on how like what what caused this to miss and then yeah. when we don't like the stuff i think we're especially keyed into that idea um we've been using the words quality control uh issue to describe some form of our debate about marvel stuff for a year or more at this point um and you know the what we're talking about goes back further than that and the kind of issues with some of these franchises so what is it i mean steve it always, like you've got like dc where it seems like they've always had a little bit of an unsureness about what the next step should be or what the best way to capitalize should be and then over right. at marvel and the kind of disney owned stuff the marvel and the star wars of it where it's like uh these are these were things that were kind of chugging along on their own steam for a while and now we see that even that isn't like a guaranteed um I mean, th frankly, these movies are still making a lot of money, and maybe they're even making back their budget and then some. But it's they're not able to predict the the sort of immense successes that they used to. And now we have a Marvel movie just around the corner that is tracking to still a huge amount of money to to me seventy five million dollars maybe in a weekend. But for that to be the yeah. top end of a Marvel movie's hopes for an opening weekend, um, especially when they haven't been saturating the market with movies or whatever this year, you know, there's that that's that's low. And I think you were commenting about how like. That's like industry in industry terms. That's extremely low for a Marvel movie, right? Fifty to seventy-five million opening. Absolutely. Weekend. I mean, yeah. I think I think it kind of all was really shaky and kind of broke when Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania came out. I feel like their expectations for that movie are what you know. And we'll get into you guys talking about the book you guys read yeah. in a moment. But like, yes, yes. You know, I, I know a lot of the reporting has talked about like their expectations and their confidence in that film and. The way it was received was kind of a shock um, to Marvel uh, and Disney, but 
Yeah, I just feel like in general, like when you're talking about the Marvels coming out and, you know, you're trying to pull characters that, you know, were obviously in Captain Marvel and that <clears throat> were in uh, WandaVision and then that are, you know, were in Miss Marvel and like the, the plan to have all these things kind of funnel into a massive blockbuster coming out in the fall movie season. And not to mention a sequel to a movie that was a billion dollar film in the Marvel you know, filmography, which, you know, that's rarefied air, you know, yeah. sure, there's a lot that get to a billion, but not all of them. Right. And, um, you know, for it to be the follow up to that um, is those numbers are just like shocking to me, you know, like, I feel like the way it's kind of fallen. And, and even in DC, you know, like, you know, the expectations on flash, and you know, what happened with Blue Beetle, and still with Aquaman to come out in a couple months. And like the word on that is extremely negative and like a mess of what are we doing with this movie kind of thing. Yeah. It just seems like, you know, post peak 2019, it feels like for Marvel, you know, coming out of that and because of the pandemic and the mandates, you know, for Disney in terms of like what they wanted Disney plus to be and what they wanted the Marvel's, you know, impact to be there. And even star Wars. I mean, you know, it's just, Everything has been, it feels like everything has been spread way too thin, hasn't been able to scale the way they expected it to. And at the same time, the audiences are being more and more fragmented and going away from where they want to make the most of their money. So, I mean, I think it's just, it's not unique to Marvel, but it's the most, you know, visible to them because they were and still are kind of, you know, the, 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 the safe bet for a blockbuster if you need to find one in the season um at the theater but i just feel like it's just it's such an awkward situation when you start seeing this reporting come out that we talked about last week you know about resetting on daredevil what they're doing with echo you know just these other shows being completely scrapped or removed from you know it's just it's good to acknowledge that it, it sucks that it's so public and like, you know, it's mm -hmm. in the wake of underperformance across the board, I think. So, um, yeah, I mean, these, this next year or two, we'll, we'll, we're, we're, are going to be really interesting. Um, but it's definitely like alert time. It's like crisis time, I think for a lot of these franchises. Well, um, I mean, because the studios, the whole premise, like to talk about Marvel, but DC for sure, because DC just got the kind of a, a, a reboot, you know, a lot of press, whether it was good or not, uh, about like how they're, I mean, it was supposed to instill confidence that they're kind of starting over with like a sure hand, but instead it made people really worry about these movies in between that were now Aquaman 2 is the last one of those, right? Before we get the James yeah. Gunn era over there. And whereas Marvel doesn't have like a reboot coming, they do have uh, Bob Iger at the, at the top saying, we're going to scale back the quantity and go for the quality, which again, it seems kind of like a no brainer. Um, and I guess this segues into the conversation about the book that we read, Ronald and I read, um, which is like, a, cause it's like when you want to talk about what's broken, it's interesting to note what Marvel did right and why it worked and maybe how it worked and how it's not working right now. You kind of pinpointed it, Steve, I, in my little outline, maybe you got this far in the book, Ronald, in my little outline, I, I, I finished the book and made a lot of, I'll just show you guys the side of, side of my book I, I i put a little post-it note in every time i was Holy like oh, that's, that's kind of an interesting factoid um and then i tried to remember what those were and i collated them down but yeah. like i was trying to think of what were the pivotal moments and what were the things i learned about the mcu by the way the book yeah but by the way the Steve. reign of marvel studios it's just called mcu 
Um, it's by um, Joanna Robinson, Dave Gonzalez, and Gavin Edwards, and yeah. it's it basically goes through the story of from the beginning to roughly now, earlier this year, kind of is where it drops off. Um, just talking about not every movie, but talking about the pivotal moments and the and the kind of behind the scenes shenanigans that have produced everything that's gone right and everything that's gone wrong uh, yeah. about these movies. What were you about to say, Ronald? I was going to say, Steve, you see uh, how many marks he had in that book. There's, yeah. That still doesn't compare to how many things you will learn from this book. So many miscellaneous things. Like, I guess the biggest thing that won't give anything away is that typically, I mean, I guess this makes sense. People were typically trying to get into another film. They liked them and kept them for other films. That is what the thing seems to be casting. You, there's a narrative that seems to go, uh, that, that seems to have developed where they say like the character is all that matters and the actor doesn't matter. Um, I think MCU and in its infancy really embraced the idea that it was the opposite. The actor really did matter. Their mm -hmm. presence mattered. Their character mattered. Right. What they bring to the table mattered. Um, the, you know, you know, when the book goes into that, Ronald, uh, the Kip, the ones that that stand out to me, for sure. um, supposedly Chris Pratt was one of the oh, ones where Chris they said Pratt. when they saw him read for that part, James Gunn didn't even really want to see him for the part. He he knew him from Parks and Rec and just didn't think he was right. And then saw him and was like, "That's the guy." Um, they said for. Uh, for Iron Man, Terrence Howard was the big get, you know, at the time yeah, because his yeah. career was on fire. Robert Downey Jr. was the risky proposition. And what what is it that they said? I have this quote. I just like I just like this quote. He says, "We had a lot of conversations with great actors for the role, and then Iron Man walked in," referring yes. to Robert Downey Jr.'s first meeting for the role. But what you're saying is right, Ronald. It's like the people talk about this as sort of a producer-driven franchise, and it is. And we've talked, but we've talked about this. It's also really fueled by the charm of the right actor in the right part. Uh, and that's why even something like uh, Quantumania, which is you know not one yeah. of the critical successes, that one of the reasons why they even would bank on a movie like that in the first place is because they're banking on like how far can we bank on the likability of stars yeah. like Paul Rudd who are yeah. insanely likable to, to people? You know maybe they didn't quite nail that one, but that's still the premise behind these movies is to like lead with a likable lead. Right. Uh, that sounds like self yes, yeah, intuitive, but a lot of people don't do it. <clears throat> I called this. I called this quite a while ago that I felt like something was happening. And it's not that it matters. It matters that these things have the 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 weight that they have. But something was shifting quite a while ago before it before it even got like bad that I could feel that I was I felt like I was maybe putting a little too much stank on it when it was when I was feeling it you know I was going on these like rants I was like something isn't right this is failing this can't last something's weird you know like eh, you know they'll pop a champagne and I get it because these films are great that's that's not the issue but something started to shift in terms of the quality that I, I couldn't the the nuanced things that were happening that we could all feel that was kind of yeah you know the beginnings of it but that we couldn't put our fingers on at first and maybe i guess what do you guys think led to this happening i i think that's what you said that you had an idea maybe john maybe, maybe you could oh no steve kind of nailed it it's like the the it's the i mean well i mean let's look let's look at the secret ingredient sure. all along has been kevin feige yeah. you, you read this book and you yeah. see how much 
He was the guy he's who kind of Steve. he's the kind of but he's the way he's the guy who kind of got the idea. Like you know, just to go back to like back when the early plan in the mid '90s was to package these characters from the comics. Um, like the, the, the Marvel was beginning to say, let's pitch to the studios projects with actors and with directors attached because the studios are never going to see the potential in some of these characters, but they will see the potential in having like a name director or a name actor attached. You know, so the premise became let's market. It was always about, did you notice how much in the early part it's about like selling toys, Ronald, not even selling yes, comics, so much selling to- toys. So many toys yeah. And so it was like how toyetic that word, you know, how, yeah. how, how much the, can these characters be made into toys? Um, then somewhere in there, Feige was working at Donner Schuler Donner, which is an interesting place because he was, he really loved the, Superman movie. Um, he kind of came up under Lauren Schuler Donner and uh, Laura Ziskin over there um, and uh, sort of watched them developing the X-Men and got involved with the development of the X-Men. And Steve, it was just kind of a neat thing. It's, he said that so often these executives would be having a hard time struggling with what to do on these movies. And then he would go read the comics and he would be like, just do this. It's a, it's yeah. here. Like, and he yeah. wasn't even a comics guy. He then kind of went off and learned all the all the Marvel stuff. But the, he, he seems like some combination of a quick study and a guy who really did have the kind of empathy. Uh, Lauren Schuler Donner said that he is an empathetic and intuitive producer, which she thinks she, he picked up because he was kind of uh, you know mentored by two female producers. That that's a more of a female producer trait to be like n- nurturing and empathetic or whatever. I just think that's an interesting notion that he went with this idea of putting together these projects, but with this sincere belief that like oh the characters kind of what we're saying it's in the characters it's in the comics like the 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 answers to these questions that people struggle with and come up with these crazy ideas and make these adaptations that people didn't think worked he was one of the guys who was just like let's let's be true to the spirit of the comics you know um and uh and then the other thing is hiring john favreau seems like such a crucial decision uh and they said something that i just love steve that i thought you would enjoy too they said they wanted a director uh who would excel at the small moments and whose dialogue scenes would be sort of as exciting as an action scene. Yeah. And John Favreau mm. is that guy. But also that's the secret treasure. I mean, like whenever someone like Martin Scorsese, God love him, talks about the Marvel movies and says it's all about the spectacle and the effects or whatever. And you're like, no, it's not even really about that. It really is much more about in the best Marvel movies. It's much more about those conversation scenes and bringing yeah, John sure. Favreau in to sort of set the tone. I mean, we think about James Gunn coming into that and Joss Whedon coming into that and these different people who came into that. But the the intelligence behind choosing John Favreau to set the tone of, oh, he can do, we can get the effects guy to do all this previs and figure out these action sequences, but John Favreau can drill down into character, and then getting someone like Robert Downey Jr. I mean, there's a lot of genius strokes. Yeah. Um, I'll try to narrow this down to just three things that I think you noticed that, that were in place from the first movie, though, Steve. One is that um, uh, uh, the the importance of like actors and characters, like focusing on the characters, um, and then the w- another one would be like that CGI is the answer to solving late uh, problems in production. That if you've got, um, if you're missing a scene or something, you can cobble right. something together with CGI. Um, and then the other thing might be that the best use of the CGI is is in that like in surface of the characters. So if you have great actors and great characters and you're trying to use the effects to support the characters and then you're the kind of other thing that maybe they did well in Iron Man, but maybe we can see when they've done it less well over the years is that thing of fixing it in the process, like reshooting and rewriting. And sometimes yeah. these movies feel like they don't have a thing to them. And back to the point, when when um, when November 2019 rolled around and Disney Plus kind of became the focus, I think that that whole question of, uh, I think Joe Russo is the one who said, 
when why have other studios not been able to do the MCU thing? He says they don't have a Kevin. Well, it's like now there's not enough Kevin to go around yeah. for all the yeah. stuff that they're trying to do. And he may even be getting worn out anyway. But like there's definitely not enough for him to supervise all these shows and take this active role. And they even said that like sometimes he would go and be really involved in the first episode or two of one of the shows because that's when he would be needed on set to kind of do his Kevin thing. And then he would leave. And how many of the Marvel shows had a good first episode or second episode and then kind of tapered off? And I'm not saying he's the magic man. I'm just saying that person who, back to what I was saying at the beginning, who understands the aesthetic yeah. of, of how to make these characters click for an audience. There's you, you, No one can do it for 10 years and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that that might be the answer there is just there's not enough of a direction right now. And maybe it's not the right most exciting directors, that want to work with them anymore. Maybe actors are kind of backing away because these six or nine film contracts are crazy. Um, but I just don't know that the system can keep working, you know, the way they've been doing it because it's been so diluted. And I don't know. I mean, do you guys believe a hit could bring it all back? Or do you think no. it takes more than that? It's like the spell's no. been broken. And so now it's more like piecemeal. It's just one's going to hit and one's going to not. And we're just well, going to keep rolling. One of the things, one of the things that was very pivotal in all of this stuff in the beginning, Steve, was like, so there's a reason why John Favreau and Joss Whedon existed in this work. They're comedy people, and that takes some level of improvisation. Improvisation is like a big part of what made the first block of films really special. Like all the moments kind of came about from like things getting fucked up. And then Joss Whedon or uh, John Favreau being like, hey, well, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's talk to the writers and do this. Right. It doesn't feel like that's a thing anymore. Everything's kind of locked down to 2030. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that 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 shouldn't exist. I think there should be a level of like pivot room. Like there should be like, I know that they say that like to make a movie, you have to be this far out. But A24 and all these companies are kind of proving that that's not the case. I mean, I know that they're smaller productions, but you can't tell me that it takes this long to spitball this idea. Culture changes. Mm -hmm. People change. Their attitudes change. So blocking out 10 years ahead sometimes can be bullshit. It, it may not work out the way you want it to. I mean, what Steve said, they've started doing that thing, Ronald, of like quietly dropping things and changing dates. And, you know, so it's like not they, they're doing it now more than they used to. So I think what you're saying is very true, that it's like the, that 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 has backfired at this point. Yeah. The idea that you announce it's a slate of movies that maybe don't light people's hearts on fire. And it's like, yeah. well, what do you do now? So one of the things that they talked about, which which is not even even the tip of the iceberg in terms of craziness that they revealed, Steve, was that. Um. Thanos was a fucking mistake. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, the, the fact that he just stuck it at the end of the movie just because he wanted to explain away something that was in the film. Yeah, he wanted to explain w where the aliens in the movie came from, like where Loki <laughs> got it. them. And so he put right. it in. And then... Right. They were like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know? And then I think they said they included Thanos in Guardians of the Galaxy because at that point, Kevin Feige had liked, he liked this idea of the bringing that comic book idea in that there's a guy behind the guy behind the guy that like, you know, Thanos exists in this other kind of place. But no, what you're saying is so true, Ronald, that like that, that feels like the most planned thing, yeah. but maybe they were just good at doing the thing that you always hear that Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold and the guys over on, um, 
uh, you know, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad like to do, which is they had a vague plan. They wrote themselves into corners, and then they kind of used, like in that case, it was a writer's room. But yeah. Marvel has had a similar kind of story department sort of thing going where they, they, he said that like working out the end game stuff, you may have read this, that like they said they literally spent years in a room working mm. that out and that like it was based on salaries they had all that all the people that they could work with and it's like they would be rated different scores based on like salary where they were in their contract how many movies they had left all this stuff before they hit on this idea that like let's gear it towards snapping away all the new characters and keeping the og avengers so that you could have a movie about them you know, having like a final hurrah for some of these actors, like yeah. you know, the plan. But like cool. that plan, they said once they had the plan, they stuck to it. But that they spent two years working out like what is what does this even look like? And somewhere in there was when they had the idea to break the movie in half. And that's like to me one of the most brilliant ideas they had because waiting a year, you know, the snap and then waiting a year was one of those great Marvel moves that they pulled. I think, and I know yeah. that you were always like, ah, we, you know, you you weren't as big on that, but but I felt like it's it was a no, a really, real quick. You still owe us ice cream. Yes, that's true. That's I true. Because I got true. that all wrong. You know, it's I got, weird. I'll never let you forget that because I love ice cream. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get some It's weird cream. that we haven't been around each other physically that much since yeah. that movie that. came yeah. out, but it's very true. Um, but anyway, never. no, just to say that to me, that's one of those types of moves, Ronald. Splitting the movie in half yeah. was another thing yeah. that's like, oh, it feels like a small decision maybe at the time, but that now has become part of the lore. Even the last line, the I am Iron Man uh, line. Um, that was something that the editor suggested and they had to like twist Robert Downey Jr.'s arm to come back and, and do that line. Like Joel Silver over dinner told mm. him, that's a great line. You got to come back and do it. Mm. But that now feels like if you didn't have that line, you'd be really missing something, but they didn't, they didn't have anything there. They didn't yeah. have a beat, you know, so, Iron Man just yeah. died. I don't know. I Those think moves the, are interesting. I think the solution lies in something so simple besides just making them good movies. Cause I think the strategy before was taking unknown people and making them special. This is the time to bring out the big guns. We need the people that nobody's seen in 10 years or, right. you know what I mean? You need you need the Fantastic Four now. You need the X-Men now. You need yeah. more Spider-Man. You need those characters. You need to see some of those well-known characters together in combinations that you've never <laughs> seen before. So what makes that so great as we have this big place where you can play around with all these characters this big sandbox right wolverine has never been beside spider-man in a actual movie right we need to start doing that like once once you one start... of wolverine's first appearances i think his first one was fighting the hulk so we still haven't right. seen that so something either. like yeah. that yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you know like that <sighs> is the stuff that will make people come back because i think at this point they're like this isn't special enough but if you make special characters if you bring back people that are known if you sh i mean they have to be comics accurate right are, are, we, are we i don't need it we don't need i, it. I personally don't care about that yeah you don't i, th I, mean, I think well, i think continue well, with oops i think continue with the idea of of spirit accurate to the spirit you know but they don't need there's not like any one particular storyline or costume no, or anything I, that, no, that, they, mean, that they need I mean, to be accurate to i mean wolverine not having like tulips come out of his claws instead of you know what i mean i just mean like the characters have the the abilities that they had that we if they do that if they do the tulip you know <laughs> it's like that that was one of the worst uh, runs in the comics <laughs> just like I, smacking people with tulips i have to put a little uh uh fork here a second john i need you to go back like 20 seconds this is something you're gonna pull out of the episode for me just for posterity 
Yeah. There's a moment where you just spoke and you said oops in the middle of your sentence. <laughs> and it was both hilarious and adorable. Could, could you I not hear it. that? I, could you not hear me bumping I, my microphone? Because that's why I, I said oops. I couldn't. Okay. No, I was like, what is All he right. saying? Oops. It, it yeah. was like so funny. Yeah. Sorry. I had to point that out. I need no, to I'm, leave that in because that's fun. I love but, it. I hope but that's good that to know. As much as I, did. I always leave that kind of shit in. Uh, no, I, I, um, I, I, that makes me feel good because every time I bump my microphone, I feel bad. Uh, so oh, no, now no, I can, no, good, I can stop feeling um, oops inside. Oops. But no, th this is also interesting because for a while, this was this conversation about movies that was like, it was fun to have because everyone was kind of on board. And now it's just like, you do kind of like the ones you like. Yeah. Um, but it is, it, it was, it is wild that it worked as well as it did. I just don't know how you can top in game in the sense of, and just in the sense of the event, the, the feeling of it, I just feel like there's kind of the way that Star Wars can never top, like the way that Force Awakens felt in the theater when everyone was like jazzed again. Um, right. It's like whatever they did after that only diluted that feeling. You may love or hate what they did, but it only diluted that feeling. And I think Endgame is just a hard thing to bounce back from. I think Guardians of the Galaxy 3 did a great job. I think No Way Home. Yeah. I think there's been some really, really great stuff since then um but as far as that cohesion that sense of direction which i don't think it really had that much of a sense of direction ronald you kind of were getting at this with the thanos thing like it was almost like they just did a better job of doing the vince gilligan thing yeah. of, of working your way out of the corner of what you know figuring out how to use what you've already done to make it seem like it was already planned robert cargill the the screenwriter said um with marvel everybody assumes the afterthought is forethought and he was referring to that way that they hash out stories kind of as they yeah. go and they pick up things. He said, people always think that it was this plan, but that actually conversations were happening constantly where one of the things they've done from the beginning is like throw out a plan they had for a long time in favor of something else. Yeah, um, and, they, and they said that's maybe you got to this too, Ronald, um, about those television shows. And Steve, you might find this edifying. There's yeah. just not time uh, for the reshoots that they even with the yeah. movies they they have a lot more time to polish them than they have with the television shows so that's yeah. a reason why the kind of quality control issue is a bigger one because they don't even have the the time to do the marvel thing of going back and redoing a third of it <laughs> as part yeah. of the process you know so i, I want to say uh, speak to something that ronald was mentioning in terms of like you know his feelings about going to like the fantastic four to x-men you know to these more spider-man stuff like that that we haven't seen either in a while or that we've seen recently but that is obviously like what people want to see right you yeah. know which would be spider-man right my feeling about this and 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 this is the take that i have is that it's very much in line with that opinion but the irony is is that i feel like they missed the opportunity for all of the build-up that they had for all of these spin-off things that they had planned yeah, you know yeah. whether it's mm -hmm. movies or it's TV, but yeah. having all of these series about you know uh, Hawkeye, Moon Knight, uh, Miss Marvel, Echo, you know whatever ends up coming or not coming, you know like beyond characters that we had already seen in a lot of the Avengers movies, with the exception of Hawkeye. But like, I, I feel like they genuinely missed that window of all of that earned audience loyalty to yeah. wanting to see. Like you're saying, in one hand, John, like taking these characters that, you know, weren't big characters, you know, that became huge property IP, like franchises for for for, for Marvel. Um, and, you know, coming out of Endgame or out of Infinity War and Endgame, you know, you could see the decline of everything. And obviously COVID is a major factor in any of this working. Yeah. So they would have never been able to know that. 
But I, I do genuinely feel <clears throat> like the diminishing returns are clear. And the reality that they're facing with now is that they basically need to start over. That they basically need to go back and say, what are the properties that we have that we haven't had a handle in? And before you even get to, you know, Deadpool is one. Like yeah. that's that's going to hit, you know? And you're talking about, you know, Wolverines in that. You're talking about what they're going to do with the other X-Men and Fantastic Four, like... That is the pro. That is the right approach, I think. And yeah. I think you're right. I think that's what they're gonna do. And I think that, in essence, what they're doing is they're basically starting from like phase one A now. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're basically gonna say like, yeah, this shit still happened, and we're gonna still touch back to that stuff, and it's gonna have, and some of those characters are gonna come back in at some point in this next run. But I feel like the irony in it all is that like they're gonna literally be in the same lane as what James Gunn is trying yes. to do at DC in that they're going back to the big characters. They're going back to what they think audiences are going to want to understand, want to see, want to pay for yeah. in a theater. And that's why they're starting off with a Superman movie in essence. That's why, you know, mm -hmm. really beyond what I don't even, you know, on the forecast for Marvel, it's going to be Deadpool, you know, like whatever the Marvels does. I, I mean, I feel like that movie is going to grossly underperform domestically and worldwide so i mean i think that you know loki's making its run i've been really happy with loki i really love the first season of that but i think that's the exception to the rule at this point i right. think that they really are and pumping the brakes on all these shows the fact that they were going to dump echo the way that they were going to do it you know is a very clear tell of the quality of that show and they and they took it down i think from six episodes to five exactly like these are very um, clear steps to say we maybe need to step this back and say, again, honestly, like I, I feel like it's like a phase 1A. Like no, we're taking it, I, the, what's left of, of the commitment and the loyalty that we have and we're saying, okay, let us, let us try this again. Mm -hmm. And it's going to still feed into this multiverse, you know, whatever. They don't have to say, they don't have to even say, let us, I know you weren't saying literally they're going to announce, let us try again, but they don't even have to frame it as let's try again. They can frame it as we're continuing to add to this, this great universe, but giving people an onboard, uh, exactly. a, like a, 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 a square with. one, a ground floor that they're familiar yeah. with, but also yeah. just a sense that there's a reset of some sort. Um, I, you know, cause one of the things they've also proven that's big in the book is just that, and it's a Kevin Feige thing too, is that he said that the, the interconnectedness isn't a gimmick. It's part of the, it's part of the spirit of the Marvel universe is sure. the fact that Spider-Man could swing through for a couple pages in a Fantastic Four issue, or he could swing through and be a big part of it or whatever. Yeah. And like, I, I remember Deadpool was one of the first movies I saw that captured that where he goes across town to the X-Mansion and just kind of knocks on the door. And I was like, that is such a comic booky moment that could happen all the time in the comics where it's just like people were crossing over. And yeah. I think that is something they can maintain without feeling like there's they're trying to service like six or seven franchises at one time um, and doing what they can to keep people like Chris Hemsworth around or whatever they're trying to do that I'm sure is a is a factor but like that idea of phasing people out and phasing people in I think that 
I think that it, uh, there's a lot about that situation that's primed to break. And one of them is that actors are not going to want to sign on. In this climate, with movies performing like this, actors are not going to want to sign on yeah. for the nine-film contract. <laughs> because it's like, well, before you signed on because, oh, I can trust these Marvel people. And that's why you were getting all these huge names. Oh, it looks like they know what they're doing over there. And now it's like, eh, they might not know what they're doing. I might not be serviced well by by doing this. So yeah. I do think that like they have to do something to make it feel fresh or something, whatever we want to call that. Um, and even though the third take at a Fantastic Four film doesn't seem like the most fresh thing in the world, I think that name still has some juice. And I think that what they could do with that, there's a simplicity sure. to the concept. They could yeah. bring some something to it. I think X-Men is oddly one of the biggest brand names they have in that sense. And yeah. I think Spider-Man is the other one. Um, and I do think some of these other names, you know, I, you know, Captain America, whatever, it's going to be different with uh, Anthony Mackie, but who knows what will happen with like the fourth Captain America movie that's coming out next year. And then Thunderbolts, those movies have a chance of doing something really cool. We just don't know yet, like what's going to get people excited about them or not. And I think that's the piece that is is hard to pinpoint. Whatever I, our personal interest level might be about some of these characters or actors, it's like that zeitgeist is sort of the thing that is like, you know, you can't manufacture it. Yeah. I retracted some... I'm going to retract something I said before. I was like, man, if they do a new X-Men, they're going to need a new Wolverine. No. I think to get this thing going, I never thought I'd ever say this. Hugh, you gotta be here. I think I think that I think Kevin Feige is gonna go back to the beginnings of his career. He's gonna have to the little connections that he made with Hugh Jackman in the beginning when he was doing X Men. I think he's gonna have to leverage some old school shit for some new school shit. I think he's gonna have to. I don't think that he. I don't think that we trust him enough at this point. The whole brand, not just him. Yeah. To just manufacture a new world yet. Not again. I think he's gonna have to leverage some old stuff like the Deadpool stuff you were talking about. I like mean, they do need of, they do need that. They need they like need they, they need, need a little Robert bit. Robert Denny Jr. or Chris Evans without Something. having those actors. Or yeah, I do I do agree. I, they need and I like, do think Hugh Jackman is one of the but I think they can totally see what happens with Deadpool three too and see how like yeah, okay, make, now make we know how people call. right. They can make a judgment about what they they're gonna do. Judgment call. Because yeah, I think the I think bigger that, question I is, think, does he want to do it? Does he want to come back for five movies or something? I mean, if they pay him enough? I don't think so. I don't think he does. You think I he's mean, done? I, I, you think I, he's I done? Think, no, I don't, I don't know if he's done. I, I think there's maybe some runway for him to be involved in these movies yeah. in, in some, you know, over the next five, six years or so. Yeah. But think? I mean, I yeah, I feel, I feel like Deadpool, you know, in terms of these moments that we're talking about in the MCU, mm -hmm. I really do feel like Deadpool 3 is one of those special ones a moment yeah i really do like because yeah. i mean they've really kind of pumped the brakes from a lot of stuff and like just last week or this week i can't remember when the date like they actually did acknowledge that it is moving its date yeah. you know like it was holding its date for so long during these strikes like because it really they need that movie yeah you know um they do but they did push it back like three or four months mm. um you know, because I do, you know, it's like the reality is this movie's not going to be what it needs to be if we rush this and try to hit this date rather than hit the quality that it needs to be. Um, you know, I do think Ryan Reynolds could be one of those stars in this universe now. Like he already mm -hmm. is that star worldwide. Like that. that's who Ryan Reynolds is. He's Deadpool. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he could have a title like he could be one of those 
foundation pieces in like a the next MCU. wave major and part yeah, of it. yeah yeah and he should and i think he should be i think he's a star mm-hmm. i think he's got a great property and i think you know what he could do for the mcu is is pretty substantial and i mean and yeah. getting jackman to come back as wolverine for that is a big get for deadpool 3 and it could be an even bigger get for like whatever's to come for the mcu because i agree with ronald of all the things I've like loved in terms of casting superheroes, he's probably my favorite one. Period. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I don't know, like you know, I love you know, obviously love Chris Evans, love Robert Downey. You know, there's tons of casting that I just absolutely in love with. But his run is his run as Wolverine, and that and that you know performance in Logan. Like we talked about it on this podcast when that movie came out. I just feel like you know, write it down. Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. Like that's mm-hmm. just, that's it for me yeah. at least. Like, you know, yeah. that is a all timer like casting wise. Um, but again, some people feel that way about Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. Like that's great casting too. Yeah. You know, so for this, sure. this movie really is a, a pretty, pretty, it could be special for audience members from what the word is on the movie and what they're trying to do with the movie. Which, you know, some of those rumors make me question how long Hugh Jackman may be in the MCU. Yeah. But who knows what happens between now and when it comes out. Like John said, they they roll with this stuff, you know. It's like maybe we need to have him around longer and, you know, have a handoff be in a different area of the... And maybe the- he has so much fun or he likes the shape of the movie or they, right. they, they tell him the right person is directing X-Men or whatever. And it's right. like... And then he's like... Because he always said... When he left before, or at least said once, and it got quoted a bunch, they they said, would you ever come back? And he said, the only thing that would make me come back at this point would be getting to play over there at Disney with all right. the yeah, Marvel guys. Yeah. He was like, yeah. if I got a chance to, to throw down with them, I would I would enjoy that. That seems like it would be fun. you know. And Patrick right. Stewart kind of said the same thing of like, yeah, that, that's the... That would certainly be stupid to say no if they asked me to do that, you know. Yeah. But right, I also so think that I also think we'll always have Logan. As much as I don't want them to mess it up, and I might be one of the more vocal people who likes when things end and like loves it when an actor gets to say goodbye to something and cuts away. And I might even be really interested to see what kind of person they would cast if they were starting over with Wolverine. But I, you know. I think that we'll always have Logan and because of the way it kind of sits outside of any particular continuity, I think we'll always literally have that movie to stick at the end yeah. <laughs> of whatever oh, oh, of sure. whatever they do with this character. The only thing is Hugh Jackman at a certain point can't play a guy who's not aging. Um, but until that day, uh, you know, I think that, uh, no, I'm, I, I think Deadpool 3, I talked with my son who's, you know, going on 16 and he was a Marvel kid forever and was always just kind of super, in, kind of like we were, just like super into yeah. the next thing because it was like, this is the show that we're enjoying like this is the this is the episode that we are looking forward to of a show that we watch you know um and it was a saga that we were all kind of it was fun to talk about and everything and so he and i used to talk about all that and now it is a little bit like we talk about how well that what are they doing with this or that and and deadpool 3 was one of the ones that he we agreed was like i'm curious about that i'm actually very interested to see what they do i actually am very curious about thunderbolts too but i don't know yet what I haven't seen anything to understand the tone of that one. I just like the cast and the premise seems like it could be fun. 
Um, and I like the idea of them getting back to kind of military-esque, like Winter Soldier-esque sort of yeah. level stories. So we'll see where that one goes. But, uh, you know, until we see something from it, it's it's hard to get excited about any of yeah. these things. But many times yeah. a Marvel thing has come out with a trailer and suddenly my interest level shoots up because I see what they're trying to do with it. So I, I believe they can get me back, but I know what you mean. I, I kind of agree. I don't think that the thread of just being like on that hook, like yeah. that doesn't feel as potent um, as it used to. And I do think in a sense, that's a shame. They squandered that, if you were saying, maybe some kind of goodwill. Um, but um, in the broader sense though, what do you think? Do you think we're just in a weird time where all this, all the ways that the business, the way people watch movies, it's all become so fractalized that it's hard for anybody to really predict, like using what they know about the old way of making things, it's hard to predict what audiences are going to go for. And maybe after 10 years of a certain kind of movie, it's silly to expect them to continue connecting anyway. If, if superhero movies are going to go into kind of a dip, what's the next thing? Is there no next thing? What do you think the next thing is Ronald? If it weren't superheroes? Uh, I think, so I was listening to, uh, what's that podcast, Steve? Uh, the Hollywood, the town, uh, the town, the town, such a good podcast, but there was one about live, concerts and stuff like that and i think that there's a big elephant in the room and some of it is like we we're we're kind of mourning the time we lost during that three years the snap that occurred in our (laughs) real lives right right and i think there's still like this like perpetual sort of like my time's important now and i think the key to that is because i was thinking about how barbenheimer worked and how I was realizing kind of halfway through that it wasn't just because it was like this like rally online it was because it had the quality to back it up. Once somebody saw Barbenheimer, somebody was like, holy shit, have you seen Barbie? Have you seen Oppenheimer? These movies are <laughs> generational sort of special, right? Mm-hmm. I watched Oppenheimer and I felt like I was watching a movie, like one of the greater movies I've ever seen in my life. I never really talked about this after we saw it, but like I could feel it. I could feel I was watching something special. That's the way I remember Steve fucking basically bursting out of his seat when we watched Avengers yeah. in the theater. It was like palatable, palpable. Everybody was feeling this special feeling. And and that to me was more special than Endgame to me. The the way I felt when I first saw that that I call it the bad boy shot. The, the yeah, that that rotating shot of all the Avengers that apparently took forever to to, to make. They yeah, talk about that in the book. Um, well, just that they knew they needed that shot. Like that was one. Yeah, of Yeah, they know they needed like this hero shot. They needed one of all of them together in in a comic booky kind yeah. of pose. You know, to kind of sell that they had done it. Like yeah. <laughs> to kind of prove, see, we did it. <laughs> it just felt so special. Like I think we forget sometimes what led to these things happen and like Endgame was special man like those movies were special but it also was earned through this like decade of damn near flawless movies like they were fun I mean let's let's kick Iron Man 3 out of there and a couple others Thor maybe but out of all those, those are those are two movies. It's a Maybe. great batting average. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah, man. For See, for me, I think that movie is Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. That would be the one where I got out of it going just like, holy crap. Like somehow yeah, they did yeah. it. Like somehow oh, they yeah. managed to do something 
that expanded the possibility of what, 100%. if 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 you're going to then like if Avengers is what sells the connected universe idea, Guardians was the thing that sold the you're right. limitlessness of it. Yeah. You know that like yeah, not only can you have a movie that takes place in deep space like this and doesn't even touch on Earth really, you can also have at the end of this a talking raccoon that makes you cry and a tree man uh that you are impressed with like uh, you know 100%. what what a great guy he is <laughs> it's yeah. like right okay. just characters that most people have never heard of at that yeah. Point. yeah yeah and that seem that, unlikely that you know yeah. and, that, and that was a key thing in the development of that movie they talk about it in the book that you know every movie doesn't get like a breakdown on its development but you do get some of them and that was one of the pivotal ones where they talk about like you know how many drafts that Nicole Perelman, the the original writer of that script, turned in. She she did like fourteen drafts of it before James Gunn came in and overhauled it. But yeah. like one of the things that had to be like decided early on was like, are we committed to this weird team? And it's one of those kind of Kevin Feige decisions where it's like, oh yeah, the point is to do that. Like they knew somehow that with that movie, for instance, yeah. the point was to do something a little weird. So I think yeah, those instincts have been good, and there have been four or five movies that I will always like top like truly cherish from that from that run and it's just that yeah there've been a lot of other ones that are sort of moving pieces around or they're kind of fun but you don't really think about them that much afterwards but uh no yeah. it's an impressive run and i do think that um of all the <clears throat> franchises we've just talked about that are kind of you know that have had issues i could see something marvelly like if they do establish let's say deadpool or wolverine or something and there's and it, they find a new groove i could see them kind of getting back that that zeitgeisty feeling of like oh yeah, people yeah, are really sure. excited to see what happens next in this saga but yeah. I, for the time being there doesn't really seem to be like when you look at yeah. all the projects that have existed too uh in that in that phase four it's crazy how many there are in phase four and how yeah. little of a direction there has been you know yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it's a little dizzying man yeah i i, I listened it's to disneying. a couple I have not read the book, but I'm very aware of it. And I've heard some, yeah. you know, Joanna talk on some podcasts about mm. it this past couple of weeks. But she talks about uh, a piece of the book, which obviously you guys know. But um, and this is really is it, it. You can't you can't like, I don't know, undersell this. You can't yeah, emphasize overemphasize this. A moment when, you know, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Brie Larson and Tom Holland are talking and basically Chadwick just saying like, like, it's us. Like, we're yeah. the future of this franchise. Yeah. And now you fast forward, you know, three years, four years later, Chadwick's gone, which I think that actually may be one of the biggest blows to the MCU. Oh, totally. Um, totally. Brie Larson, uh, you know, is publicly basically not, you know, it's like, do do people want me to be Captain Marvel anymore? Like those yeah. conversations happen in real life. She said, you know, like, and I, and I can't, I, you know, I, I can't blame her. I mean, like, yeah. it's weird. And, you know, and, and, you know, Tom Holland is maybe the exception and he's maybe the one thread right now that is like ronald said like he's the sure thing or some version of the character yeah whether it's peter or miles something you know spider-man is the bank right now i think and he would be the example of the the ryan reynolds or the hugh jackman or whatever that you're talking about but no the the chadwick boseman when i was talking about the few people that they really went into their casting chadwick boseman was the other actor that that gets some serious time in the book just talking about like how critical that casting was it's hard not to just see it as the ultimate downer that like it was supposed to be this joyous thing you know and not only do we lose him uh as a spirit and as a as a as a creative force but also like the representation of that character has now become this sort of tragic 
you know, diverted thing. Whereas before it was supposed to be this full on realization that they were knocking out of the park. Like his appearances, his first few appearances in those movies, they just knocked it out of the park. So I think that it's like, it's, and that's definitely something where they saw how well he was clicking in civil war and that fed into what they were putting into black Panther. So that's that, that that pipeline we've been talking about of them realizing what they've got and then augmenting it. And yeah, yeah, there's just no way to square that. It's just awful. Spike Lee said, and it was quoted in the book as saying that, you know, when he was working with Chadwick that, um, he knew later that he was sick and he said he could tell there were days where he didn't look good and he seemed kind of like he wasn't all there, but he'd never said anything about it. And Spike Lee said he was kind of glad that he didn't because Spike Lee said he knows that he wouldn't have asked him to do certain things if he had known he was sick and that he knows that that's what Chadwick Boseman was trying to yeah. avoid yeah. was being treated differently or not being challenged as an actor. But yeah. there sounds a little bit like there's a little bit of denial almost in Chadwick Boseman. Like he really believed, I think he was going to come out of it until yeah. late in the game. I think it's amazing that he kept working like he did, but I think it's almost crazy that he, that he played it so close to the bone. Like Ryan Coogler wasn't finding out until it yeah. was, you know, pretty late. I don't know. It's, it's a very sad uh, story, so but, sad. but the devotion to the craft and the excellence of what he was able to do in such a short time um, yeah. is, you know, very impressive. And the book definitely spends some time talking about what a blow that was to lose, yeah. lose him. Yeah. Just to think about that moment, man. Like it's just, oh, it's I think huge. about all that footage of like the, how they filmed that end sequence in end game and like all the cast being on set at the same time. And, mm-hmm. And, and just to kind of feel that moment and that that earned like passing of a torch it's just like yeah i mean beyond the overall loss of a yeah like you said john like it really is kind of crazy to think that you could see that that was the setup mm-hmm. and you're running on one of that one one arm of that tripod right now basically right yeah it's that's the, that whole like thing i was telling about the casting man steve date Lapita and Chadwick tried out for Gamora and Drax. Yeah. They didn't get casted. And they kept them kind of close because they knew they were special. And then just kind of keeping them, keeping contact. And they got casted in this, you know, Black Panther, which was, you know, it was, I remember when we saw Civil War, I remember how I felt. It That was just a special movie in mm-hmm. general. But watching... The Black Panther run faster than cars, faster dude, than, like, that, what, what? that introduction <laughs> in Civil War is just phenomenal, dude. <laughs> oh my phenomenal. god. It His arc so... in that movie is great. Like it the is. way that he decides not to kill Zemo is like oh, a major man. character point for him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think we carry that forward into his solo movie. It was like, you know, yeah. the, they, we know he's already crossed this test in a way of yeah. like, you know, doing the kind of Superman sort of move of of not being a vengeful uh, yeah. character. Um, anyway, MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios, it's it's out there. Uh, it's, you know, it's honestly, I've been seeing so much press for it in the last week. Um, yeah. And, uh, and yes, I, uh, I, I was shocked. I did color code my post-its based on the phases of the Marvel movies, if you can see oh, that. Wow. Too, that's a basic. <laughs> but, I, you know, the, 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 the book really is interesting. I will add one other thing that it's like, it it's like splits the difference between being like a puff piece that's like a, you know it's got a certain appreciation for the movies but but it does have it's not like a muckraking thing where it's trying to go for the dirt but i thought it was interestingly critical where it needed to be of like 
letting you know, like talking about when Iron Man was being made and some of those things they established in that movie that really worked, that as you're reading it, you're going, oh yeah, these are the very things that, you know, 30 movies later are not quite working as well anymore. That right. that yeah. that way of making movies, you, you you kind of alluded to it, Ronald, that, that during Iron Man, they didn't have a script. Jeff Jeff Bridges said they had an outline and he told himself, don't, don't get stressed. This, this is just a $200 million <laughs> student film. Um, but he, you know, but like other actors like kind of flourished in that kind of improvisational atmosphere but they were writing sometimes they would be waiting for them to crack something in the scripting sense and people would just be hanging out on the set together and they were talking about like robert downey jr and the crew and the cat everybody like playing games and stuff and they were saying that like as it went along moments like that would never happen you know um the way it was this giant machine but they were yeah. still making it the same way they were still doing the same thing of kind of scripting on the fly but it was like without that Without that cohesion, without that sort of family atmosphere, and you know, I think that you can sort of imagine that right now it is like a pipeline, and something like Echo. I mean, we kind of talked about it. Like, I don't know any like who was excited about Echo when they announced it. I mean, nothing against the character or the performance or whatever from Hawkeye, but that's an example of a thing where it's like they would announce these things where you just go, well, who's who wants that? I, you know, maybe Echo is the that's worst. maybe that's not a nice example to use, but. I don't personally feel connected to that character to the point where they seem like they could carry a show. That seems like a very pompous move to say, like, we can take this character who works as a background character on the Hawkeye show and then, like, do something, you know what I mean? Like, something, yeah. now they're, they're headlining a show. It's like, you can't do it with every character that you've got in your arsenal. You have to sort of be clever. Like that whole announcement that maybe um, Cassie... Uh, Lang and uh, and America Chavez are going to be teamed up in something, and it's like, oh, is anyone excited to hear that? That just doesn't seem maybe maybe yeah. maybe I'm completely out of touch, and people are that's getting clicks, but that seems like it's get, it would be getting the wrong kind of clicks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we'll see, man. Gotta, we'll see. When 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 is Deadpool coming out? Now is it still? It's off, it's, it it's still, off it's off the calendar is what I heard like it's oh, off the calendar yeah off the calendar is the like, last thing I saw like it hasn't oh, I mean which might mean it might dive into like a summer slot or a fall slot that year or something you know um, but probably means a year later or something but they're fine with bumping these things back by a year just like they did to our dead reckoning part two wow I thought I I didn't realize it was off of the calendar altogether. Right. But the the fact I guess what I'm saying is the fact that they haven't announced a date might mean it's only going to get delayed by 3 months or something, you know, but who knows what they're going to try to do. Wow. Okay. Well, they we'll they see. they still have us for now. We're still watching and and yes, Loki season 2 I'm enjoying. Um the first season the, the first episode of this new season is still my favorite, but I do think they've they've done a good job of like <laughs> keeping the tone of that one in the in the zone of of what makes it special, so so yeah, what else have you guys seen before we wrap up this episode? Um, anything? I've been watching a lot of horror movies. I've been trying really? to, in my month of horror, trying to keep up. I uh, I finally got around to watching Saw X, which I thought was actually really good. I still I mean, haven't for, seen again, it. Again, the Saw movies, like I kind of tapped out after the first two or three. Yeah. But um, I kind of like where this fits in. And, you know, I do feel like, you know, seeing Jigsaw... Uh, and some other characters kind of back on the screen was kind of fun. I've never been like a huge fan of the Saw movies in general. Um, I can, I guess, appreciate the first one the most for, you know, the the moment. Again, this is like, there was a huge moment in horror and movie going when that movie came out um, for the genre and kind of introducing us to filmmakers that we still love to this day. Um, but 
yeah, I think it was a great, like a much better return <clears throat> to that form, even aesthetically the way it's shot, the cinematography is much more in line with like the the greens and yellows and, you know, the edits of the original Saw, I guess, trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, almost kind so of yeah, like I mean, sickening color was, scheme. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's like, it was way better than I thought it would be. Um, so that's, yeah, that's out digitally. So I, I would check that out if you're, a fan, if you're a fan of Saw for sure, because it's definitely the best one in like, yeah, for a long, long time. Um, better than Spiral, you think? Oh God! <laughs> what a piece of trash! Um, I also watched uh, David Slade's um, Dark Harvest. Dark Harvest, yeah, yeah. Which I what? had been hearing a lot of things about for a while. It just kind of never had come out, and then it finally came out. Uh, you know, a couple week, couple weeks ago, um, and I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Like, I liked the idea, basically, of like Hunger Games meets. Pumpkinhead or some, like you know, some some yeah. Pumpkinhead meets Children of the Corn meets something meets, weird. Like yeah, competition. There's a competition that's taking place. Mm. It had a weird um, pace to it, or a weird kind of jittery quality to it, or something that it took yeah. a while for me to kind of get into it. But I did think that it, like, once it gets to the point where people, people like, people are getting their heads ripped in half and stuff yes. like that, I had to give it credit for going there. Um, once once things get crazy. <clears throat> Um, but yeah, David Slade, he, he he was like a director on like Game of Thrones and stuff like that, right? Or he's, and Hannibal. Or, Hannibal. And Hannibal, yeah. I, he did a lot right. of the great Ooh. Hannibal episodes, too. Um, also did 30 Days of Night, which I love. <clears throat> I see that. Um, so yeah, I thought that was pretty good. That's on digital as well. That's and a uh, comic book movie, sir. I've, I've How was that? How'd you, oh, you didn't watch it? I, know you, I, I, you I, I was too. going to, yeah. and then I chose another one that I'm going to talk about. It's perfectly fine. Like I don't, I don't like, like I, I don't know that like I can say that I like like it or really like it. You know, like, but I feel like the the shit it's taken is completely like overblown. Right. I I feel like it really just reeks of like people wanting to like hate this movie, whether it's because it's another Exorcist movie or people like not liking what he did with the Halloween, you know, 2018 trilogy, but like. I didn't love this movie. It's not horrible by any means. It's got a couple really great sequences. I really, really loved Ed, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. in it. I yeah. thought he was great in it. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying. Really like, good performance. Like he him. and his, his the, the main storyline, the main family storyline was was solid. Yeah, um, he was really good. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I would watch another one. I mean, I, I guess I don't know. Like whatever they yeah. do with the series. I'd do do you know what I was saying about how next? like you're curious what they've? It ends on a note that it really feels yes. like it's going somewhere. I'm yeah. curious to know what that other, what that next part is. And so the, if they're sticking to the script, maybe is what what we said or what you said. Yeah. Um, yeah. That like that to, uh, at least makes me think maybe we'll find out what's going on there because I did think there were some kind of interesting things going on. But I also thought, did you know what I was saying about like, there were some moments where the filmmaking just becomes like a bunch of quick cuts yeah. and it's like, it could have been maybe a little better visualized and maybe David Gordon Green is not like a, he's not like a brilliant visual stylist. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely does not deserve the the panning it's getting. I think you're 100% correct that it's a combination of ill will towards the Halloween movies. And there's this weird attitude about, Oh, how dare you do an exorcist sequel? And it's like forgetting the fact that people have already made exorcist, exorcist sequels that yeah. people don't really talk about, <laughs> you know? So it's, 
you know, maybe it's over reverence for that first movie and, and, uh, there people are tired of him. And the fact that this feels like just a repeat of the Halloween thing and that it was announced as a trilogy the same way. It does kind of feel like is, is David Gordon Green just going to remake everything, you know, as a trilogy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think you'll hate it, Ronald. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh, what, what else, else? Steve? Yeah. I, was gonna... I think that was the three I wanted to mention. Uh, what were you going to mention, Ronald? Uh, so I called an audible. I was going to actually pump up the volume, pump up the jams. I was going to turn up the volume on Exorcist Believer, turn all the lights out. I'm probably going to do that this weekend. Do I it. called an audible and I decided to watch Kitty Green's uh, The Royal Hotel, mm. um, starring Julia Garner and Jessica Henwick. Uh, so it's like these Canadians go to this small, uh, work program in in melbourne this is a very small small remote town and there are two of maybe eight women in the entire town with all men um it's a heavy sort of thing just like it's about consent and power structure and just the power dynamic that can be played with sometimes in 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 a in an interaction with uh right. two women just the in in spaces and even how somebody can't isn't necessarily your ally when you think they should be your ally in spaces where maybe you may have felt uncomfortable in the past and you forget sometimes that everything isn't in somebody's head everything isn't just you know it's right. it's very intentional and and when you see the dynamic with some of these men man it it it's special. It feels like it's a horror film because of how terrible men are. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what makes it a horror film. You know, it's is like, Hugo Weaving in this? Is that, is he in the trailer? Man, okay. Hugo Weaving Love sneaks him. up on you, man. He's like really like he's like this like older bar owner with a lot of vices, um, and he's just to the point where like I didn't even really notice it was Hugo Weaving, but he's. He really is special in this one, man. It's just a good movie overall. It's a slow burn, but when it picks up, it, it it's not as it's not as violent as the the, the trailer kind of led you to believe that it was like this like <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre situation with a bunch of dudes with their penises out or something. Like it just felt like this, it, it, like it gave this like real rapey feel to the trailer, and it's not that. It is it is more about. This like nuanced sort of chess moves that guys make on women that that feel. I'm just a lot trying more... to picture how that would manifest. I'm still picturing Texas Chainsaw. Like, what if there was just Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Like the penis is out. Edit where it's just Leatherface is out. Yes. No, you're right. The trailer really does feel like that's the direction it's going. Yeah, in. It's, it's like some it's, kind of sexual assault or something. So yeah, the fact that it might not be that that rough is yeah. that's nice to know because sometimes that can be a you know that can make a movie really hard to watch yeah. <clears throat> if you're yeah, expecting think, that kind of stuff to be in it so you expect i mean just the way people are acting in it that it, it's sort of the threat of that but yeah i mean like no it's it's handled with the care that i i just wasn't expecting it to be handled with i i enjoyed it a lot a lot a lot want to watch that one for sure cool well, I guess I can just close out with uh, I saw Killers of the Flower Moon, and that seems to be a movie that oh. there's a lot of a lot of discourse about it, and it's heating up in a way that like I find a lot of the discourse about this movie kind of tedious, in the sense that people seem to be 
people seem to go into it with their talking points in mind or react to it based on based on talking points or based on an agenda. And right now, Martin Scorsese has this weird image of being like the guy who doesn't like franchise movies. So people who are like, I really do think there's a certain kind of film fan that views everything like a franchise. And furthermore, they view it as like franchise versus franchise. Yes. You know, that like yeah. that if you're a Star Wars fan, you can't be a Star Trek fan. If you're oh, a DC fan, you can't be a so Marvel much, fan. Man. And that like Martin Scorsese movies are now like seen as like a genre. And so these these sort of seemingly uneducated, uh, you know, and I say unge- uneducated about film, about the oh, you yeah, know about sure. what they speak, not un- uh, ill informed, I should say. People talking about Martin Scorsese, <clears throat> Martin Scorsese, like he's this guy who makes art snob films. And that Scorsese fans are these pretentious people who pretend to like these movies. And whether you love or hate him, he's a guy who makes entertaining movies. I mean, on the average, that's the thing you remember about him is that his movies kind of grab you, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's not to say everyone has to love them, you know, but I do think it's weird to sort of paint the picture that he's this guy who makes these unwatchable art films when that's not his thing at all. And that being a Scorsese fan is not like being this weird person who goes out and seeks out these weird films. It's like, it's just received film culture. We grew up with some of these movies being thrown at us. Like I don't personally love Raging Bull, um, Taxi Driver. I love, but I don't sit down and watch it a lot. I grew up really enjoying Goodfellas. I loved Age of Innocence. <laughs> I loved uh, things about Casino. I mean, there's different ones of his that I've loved, but you know, I don't. I'm not a person who has lived by every movie he's made. The Irishman was kind of boring for me, um, even though I thought it had some great stuff in it. I love this new movie. It is slow. It is long. I like the way it takes its time being kind of an epic. There's a lot of chatter, though, about this movie. The, the, the topics that come out of it are like, who should be telling a story that deals with indigenous people? Um, what is the point of this story? I think Martin Scorsese did a very similar thing to what uh, Nolan did with Oppenheimer. The question of whether they should have shown the Japanese side of that story you know, was answered by Nolan as far as like Oppenheimer didn't see that stuff firsthand and I'm in his head in this movie. And so I want to show you what he saw. Um, I think with killers of the flower moon, it's much more that like Scorsese can't really pretend to tell the Osage indigenous people can't really like tell their perspective, but he can focus on the awful white men that were exploiting and, and doing these awful things. Um, And I think that the movie, I've seen some criticism that the movie wallows in that violence. I really don't think it does. I think it's got the same kind of sudden violence that marks a Martin Scorsese movie where it's like terrible things happen to people, but they happen sometimes in a quick, unsentimental way. The movie doesn't linger on it. Um, uh, I, I, so I think it's like, it's going to be, it's got tongues wagging. You know, people who see this movie want to have an opinion about it. Some people think it's long. Some people think it's boring. Some people think it's offensive. Um, I find it to be really bold and, and, and like lovely to look at and it's got some great performances in it. Jesse Plemons gets to play like a good old fashioned, like lawman. Um, uh, Leo DiCaprio is continuing on that kind of streak of just, you know, doing playing unlikable characters and doing some really sort of almost humiliating things as a character to get to the heart of somebody. Robert De Niro is great in a way that I can't say that I've said about him in recent years. Like he's always mm. been decent, but I just yeah. thought he locked into something special in this Pat Healy, who we, I think love on this show, the character actor, he's great in it. And then uh, Lily uh, Gladstone, uh, 
Um, she doesn't have as much screen time as you might hope in some ways. And in another movie, I might've liked to spend more time with her character, but staying true to the history of her character, largely the movie does sort of, um, uh, I mean, it, it leans on the immense power of her performance. And I think a lot of people are yeah. talking about her, uh, and you'll, if you see the movie, you'll get why. Um, but I also think all the conversations, everything that's happening, it's interesting to talk about this movie. I just find the tedious part is people who don't seem to be entering into this movie in good faith or people who seem to have this really crazy erroneous impression of Martin Scorsese as this guy who tries not to entertain you <laughs> with yeah. his movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think people might uh, see this one eventually, you know, when it hits, uh, it's going to be on Apple TV plus, right? Uh, in yeah. a few, few weeks yeah. or so. Um, I also, since it's been like book corner today, I'll just add this. I also read the book. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, and it's great. Um, mm. It actually is split into three parts. One part is about Molly. Uh, one part is about the lawman played by Jesse Plemons, and one part is about the author, like, and the people he met in his investigation, uh, and how the murders of these people is still affecting people. It's I mean, it's only you know a couple generations back for some of these people that still live there. Um, so uh, you know, the movie tries to do this, and I think the movie. God, I wish I could. I wish we could talk about it. At the end, the movie does some of the boldest, craziest stuff to try to it closes out with a real a very interesting sort of statement i think that i would only dare to talk to you about once you'd seen the movie mm. um but something happens at the very end that was actually kind of startling almost when, when it happened in the theater um and then since i have read that book and that book is a, a you know written by a what a, a a well-meaning intelligent white man but a, a white man telling this story i would also like to recommend uh, Never Whistle at Night. This mm. is a collection of uh, short stories by indigenous people. Um, it's all like horror stories and stuff. So it's a great uh, selection for this time of year. Never Whistle at Night. Uh, um, I'm, I'm about a quarter of the way into it. And there's been some, I mean, some insane shit in this book. Some really like the kind of thing where I'm, I want to see an anthology show of these short stories. You know, I just want to see them, you know, I want to see that movie in my mind. Uh, nice. So Never Whistle at Midnight is the recommendation, or Never Whistle at Night is the recommendation. And uh, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. You know, you guys are going to see it. I don't have to tell sure. you to see it. I can't Yeah, wait. they're doing a weird thing. Like, they haven't announced, like, the digital release on Apple yet. I think they're doing a, a bit of a coy thing, like, trying to figure out, you know, we don't want to say it's going to be available on this date on Apple mm. TV, plus the people see it in theaters because it's in theaters, you know? Like, they're doing this unique thing. Yeah with Killers and also with Napoleon where, you know, they're releasing them theatrically through uh, another distributor. Like this is, I think, Paramount. Mm -hmm. um, and Napoleon might also be with Paramount, maybe not, but, um, but yeah, like this, like they haven't said any date yet about when it's going to be on Apple TV plus. So I don't know, it could be December, you know, they might, they might try to release this now and then get the, you know, the streaming release more into the gut of like, you know, award season, you know? So it'd be yeah. interesting to see how they play that, but yeah, I can't wait to see it. Like, it's definitely at the top of the list. So, mm. um, all right, cool. Well, that's an episode. Uh, MovieSchmovie.com is the website. You can go there and jump into any of the podcast platforms to subscribe to the podcast, or you can just listen to all the episodes right on that website. If you like, uh, YouTube.com slash podcasts for the video option. If you prefer to watch your podcast, then listen to them exclusively. Um We'll be back next week. Uh, again, my required viewing pick is When Evil Lurks, which comes out today on digital platforms. If you want to rent it, buy it, stream it, 
your choice. Um, we'll talk about it next week. And um, maybe for some newer listeners, we're going to drop an episode um, of our movie replay one Halloween. It's going to be a horror Halloween themed episode. It'll be a surprise, which it is, but um, check it out. If you haven't gone back in our catalog, um, we're going to put an episode out on, on, on Halloween day. Uh, just kind of trying to get everybody in the spooky mood. So it'll come out. Uh, you'll see it pop up in your feed. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. And as always, you made our day. Thanks. Bye. Oops. <laughs> <laughs>